I'm, I'm going to go ahead and not take credit for today because this was Steve's plan. And I don't know if maybe we should wait a while before we preach on joy again because I don't know about you, but this last week was uh, probably not the greatest week of 2020, although it probably wasn't the worst either because guess what, it's, it's 2020. But those of you, I'm sure that uh, your backs feel a little bit sore today. You probably picked up more branches this week uh, than you wanted to, especially if you're like me and have a Bradford pear in your front yard. Uh, that's just what happens, right? But this week, we're finishing up this ser- the sermon series that we've started uh, called Abnormal. We've been looking at the book of Philippians and just kind of how Paul's time in prison kind of gives us insight on how we can face our own trials in life. And I think that it's interesting that, that as Paul writes this letter from prison, that often people say that the theme of this letter is joy. And I think that Really, it's joy regardless of what the circumstances are. I don't know if you've ever feel, uh, felt this pressure before in your life, but there's just sometimes I think as a Christian, as a believer, I feel like I'm supposed to have it all together. Like I'm supposed to be happy all the time. But I think that's where we get mixed up sometimes because happiness and joy are not really the same thing. It's different. I wrote this in your outline. Happiness is to be favored by external circumstances where joy is really a divine inner contentment. Joy is a spiritual fruit. It's in that list. And so really what that means to us is that it only comes by way of the Holy Spirit. Now, when I was in college at Mid-America Christian University, uh, I had a few friends, and every now and then, if we knew who was speaking in chapel, depending on how boring we thought it would be, uh, sometimes we would skip and go eat breakfast. And I just want to say, since Marv's here today, we didn't ever skip while you were preaching, I was, I'm saying. Uh, but we'd go to this place called the Trucker Burger. It was over on uh, 104th and 44, and they had the best biscuits and gravy known to man, right? It, incredible. And the atmosphere was just cool. It's like one of those, like, you know, the best food is always at those places that you probably shouldn't eat at, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and, and it was just great. And there was this guy that I'm, I'm pretty sure the waiter, he was from Witness Protection because he was like, he was like 6'6", six, six, and he was like thorough Italian, like straight Italian. He, all, he always had a track suit on. You'd come in and you'd sit down and he'd come over and he'd go, how you doing? Okay, you are not from Oklahoma. Uh, but just, it was just a, just, just a great atmosphere. And so obviously I've, I moved away. I lived in Pennsylvania for oh, four and a half years or so. And then I moved back and, and I was so excited to move here. Not because I was going to get to meet you guys. I was, I was so excited because I was going to get to go to Trucker Burger again. And I got back and guess what? It's gone. And those of you that know, it's not just like clothes, it's gone. Like, maybe the mafia showed up and I don't know, I don't know what, I don't know what happened. Like, it just disappeared. But that's life, right? Things come and go. Sometimes life is good and sometimes not so much. Someday your, your favorite restaurant is open and then the next day it no longer exists. And if we live for happiness... That's what our life is going to be like. 
We're going to let the waves of life dictate our countenance and our attitude. But Paul, he found a better way. I want to read to you Philippians 4, 11 through 13. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need because I've learned in whatever situation, whatever situation, whatever circumstances, I'm going to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty or facing hunger, abundance or need. And that secret is, is that I can do all things through who? Through Christ who strengthens me. So what we learn from Paul is that joy is not the absence of pain or frustration or difficulty. Rather, joy is a redirection of our focus that allows us to find contentment that isn't here on earth. And the great news that comes along with this, this scripture, this passage, is that contentment can be learned. That's what Paul says. Paul says, I learned to be content. I learned what the secret is, and that secret is the right answer, the Sunday school answer, right? What's the answer? It's Jesus. Or more literally, letting him be the foundation of our contentment because Jesus is the only thing in our lives that's what? That's unchanging. Restaurants come and go. Circumstances come and go. One day you're eating delicious cinnamon rolls at Perry's and the next, the next day the, the only guy that knew the recipe dies and takes it with him. And am I still bitter about that? Yes, I am. But that's, that's what happens in life, right? Things come and go. So instead of basing our contentment on things that make us happy, we got to base our contentment on a God who is unchanging because he's always going to be good. He's always going to give grace. He always fulfills his promises. And he always loves. Faith in a God who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Contentment and joy is not this magical or mystical thing but it's something that takes time. It's something that has to be learned. So I think the real question that we're faced with this morning is how, how do we learn that? How do you learn to be content? And I think that this is a great message to segue from what Steve talked about last week because I think a lot of it is just shifting our focus. Sometimes we're just focused on the wrong things. And so we're gonna, we're gonna continue that idea of, okay, so don't focus on this. What do we focus on? If you follow along in your, your notes, I think that we've got to learn to look in. Find joy in righteous living. Look in and find joy in righteous living. Romans 14, 17 says this. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For context for this scripture, Paul's telling the Romans, you need to be careful what you eat because you don't want to cause your brothers to stumble. And really, I think what he's saying to all of us is that in life, especially in the life of faith, it matters how we choose to live. And it's not just about our witness. It's not just about what our life speaks to other people, but it's what our life does for us. It's not just an example to others, but our own integrity. Who are we when no one's looking and what is that doing to our life? This idea that, that Scripture is trying to tell us is that right living leads to joy. I think that Scripture also tells us that the opposite is also true. I want to read to you Jeremiah 5.25. It says, Your wickedness has deprived you of these wonderful blessings. Your sin has robbed you 
of all these good things. Even think back to, to the beginning, Adam and Eve. What happened to Adam and Eve? Their sin, what did it cost them? It cost them perfection. So I want you to think about your own sin and the old, the, your own things that tangle you up. What is it costing you? What is your sin costing you? Sin only has the power to, to, to give you shame and it'll take your joy. But righteousness has the power to give you joy. But it's important to understand that it is grace that eradicates shame. This idea that, that sin takes life, but righteousness gives life. But also understanding that, that righteousness cannot save us, but it can usher in contentment. Righteousness, to say, doesn't solve our problems, but it is a pathway to peace and joy. This idea that doing the right thing brings blessings because it's a pathway to the heart of God. Doing the right things brings us joy because guess what? That's what we were made for. I don't know if you guys saw this commercial. I, this commercial cracked me up. I think it was a Super Bowl commercial probably more years ago than I care to remember because I'm pretty sure that it was about a razor phone and most of the kids in here don't even know what a razor phone is. Uh, cell phone. And it was this commercial. It, it's set up and this guy is like bragging all, about all the new features of his new phone. He's like, my phone's got this and my phone's got that. And, and this dude pulls out like this dinosaur cell phone. He's like, yeah, but my phone's got theft protection. And the guy looks at him. He's like, what's theft protection? He's like, try to steal it. And he tries to steal it. and He just throws it at him as hard as he can. <laughs> and it, like I, he was just mad because his phone didn't have all the things that the other guy had, right? But let's think about this for a second. If you take your cell phone out and somebody tries to steal it and you throw it at them and you hit them in the right spot, it's going to hurt. They might think twice, but that's not what your cell phone was designed to do, right? We can all agree on that. So it might work that way, but what happens eventually if you keep throwing it at people, what's going to happen? It's going to break. And that's what happens when you use things for a, for a purpose that it was never meant to be used in. And the same thing will happen to us if we continue to live a life of sin, the more broken we become because that's not what we were created for. And that's why this, this matters. That's why righteousness leads to joy because righteousness, right living, is doing what we were created to do in the first place. We were designed for perfection, for Eden living, and though the law can't save us, it can be a pathway to contentment. My question is, I, I want to sit on this for a second. What, what are you ashamed of? What is it in your life that causes you shame? What sins might be present in your life that you think might be robbing you of joy? Maybe lust is robbing your marriage of intimacy Maybe greed is robbing your integrity and your morals. Maybe envy is destroying your relationships and your growth. Maybe busyness is robbing your time. Maybe discontentment robbing your joy. Anxiety robbing your peace. Fear stealing your life away. It's not usually something that I struggle with, but I think what I've been going through during this this so-called epidemic, whatever we want to call COVID, is that it just made me lazy. 
There's just been a lot of things. I'm like, I don't want to. Like, it's like, you want to go to the grocery store? I don't want to put a mask on or wear a mask. I don't, I don't want to do this. I don't have to do that. Let's plan an event. Oh, man, if we plan an event, we got to think about all these new things that we never had to think about before. You know, it's just easier to do nothing, right? But what is it for you? What are those things that are getting you down? And how am I leaning into righteousness change things. And I want to be clear. I want to be really, really clear about this. Righteousness cannot save you. But I do believe with all my heart that when we do what we were created to do, it will bring us joy. But righteousness is only a piece, right? There's other things that go along with that. As much as we look in, we also need to learn to look out. Look out and find joy in serving others. Find joy in serving others. Hebrews 12, 2 says this, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Can you please, if you, if you got your outline, can you please underline that for me? For the joy that was set before him, Christ endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Wow. As painful as it was, God's saying right here that it gave him joy. The cross gave him joy. Why? Because death brought hope to humanity. It brought hope to a people that he cared about. He found joy in serving those that he loved, even those that were in rebellion, even those that were still his enemies. But isn't that what serving is? Helping others to find a better future, even at cost to us? Because that's what serving does. Serving sometimes costs us. And sometimes it's hard to get that out of your head. It's like, how can serving bring me joy? Because it comes at a cost to me. Listen, I, didn't, I don't make things up. I don't, know why it, I don't know why it is that way. But if any of you have experienced that, when you serve somebody else and you see the joy that they get from you doing what you did, I, there's just something you can't describe. It just makes you feel good. It makes you feel like you made a difference. And there's great joy there. Serving other people. Listen, Jesus got uncomfortable so that we could experience comfort. How, how do we do that too? 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might be rich. Now, a couple weeks ago on a Wednesday night, I was, I was teaching in the student ministries room and I asked them a question. I said, if you could have an unlimited amount of one resource, what would you pick? And I said, you, anything you want to. I mean, you get from money to biscuits and gravy to joy, peace. If you could have an unlimited amount of one resource, what would you choose? And one of the students said, swords. Swords? Okay. Hey, if you want swords, that's okay, but I'll take uh, peace myself, you know what I'm saying? Then I asked, I said, if you had the chance and there was somebody else that you saw and they had none of what you had everything of, would you give up what you had so that they could have it too? And I said, this is what I want you to understand about what Christ did. Because I know that a lot of times we really appreciate the cross, but sometimes I think we forget about what God did, even just leaving heaven. God left 
every resource. God didn't just give away one resource. God left every unlimited resource to come here so that he might share those resources with us because he saw the value in you. He got uncomfortable so that we could experience comfort. He gave up his wealth so that through his poverty, we might experience what it's like to be wealthy too. And what is scripture? It says, look, Hebrews 12, 2, look to Jesus. To me, what that means is that we got to learn how to follow in his example. We've got, and I think that when we do that, we find that there's great joy in serving others, even if we have to get uncomfortable. Listen, I, I did a, some time in college uh, in visiting hospitals. And let me just tell you, there were some experiences that I have that I cannot explain here on stage without going into details you don't want to hear about. And some of that was absolutely disgusting. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the morphine, but for some reason, people want to show you their scars. And like, listen, I came to pray for you. I ain't trying to see nothing here today, right? But every day I came back, I wasn't exhausted, but I had so much energy because I knew that I had been there and I had made a difference. That just when you, when you put yourself out there, when you, when you experience things that you're like, oh, I wish I never had experienced that, but it's worth it because you, what you find out, you find out that people are worth it, that other people matter because that's what mattered to God. And you would think that sacrifice and being uncomfortable would make you sad, but it's the opposite. So how can you serve? What does it look like for you to be uncomfortable? What could you give up so that others could have? What, what if you bought somebody a coffee instead of yourself? Or what if you used that money to, I don't know, sponsor a kid in compassion? What if you took somebody out for, for ice cream? And that's two gifts because you're giving them your quality time and you're buying them ice cream. What if you let somebody borrow your chainsaw because they're outside trying to cut tree lamps with a handsaw, right? Or maybe just help them pick up some branches. What if, what if you sent somebody a card in the mail? I don't know about you, but there's just something about special about getting a card in the mail, even if it doesn't have any money in it. Just like somebody took the time to do that, to go buy a stamp, to send it. I don't know if you guys have stood in a line at the post office, but somebody did that for you. That makes, that makes it special and because it's not a bill. So that's always good. Or maybe you could just call or, or, or text and just helping somebody feel a little less lonely. What, what about bringing somebody dinner or buying groceries or getting them gas or maybe just running an errand for somebody that can't get out of the house or, or taking time to really pray with somebody? And I'm not talking about you passing in the hallway say, hey, man, I'm praying for you. It's like, okay, thanks. But what if you said instead, hey, can I pray for you right now? Is that Okay. Or send them a prayer through text, like just letting them know that like, I'm not just speaking empty words, but, but I care about you. And the blessing that is to somebody else. How might you find joy in serving other people? Let's switch focus. And I think uh, this back half is, is really about looking to God. And I think that we've got to learn to look forward. Look forward and find joy in salvation. Look forward, find joy in salvation. Isaiah 35.10, and the voice says this, Those whom the Eternal One has recalled from a punishing exile, they will go along easily. They will walk this path, come waltzing to Zion, singing their way to the place of right relationship with God. 
An aura of joy never ending will attend them and they will clasp gladness and joy to their hearts and sadness and despair will evaporate into thin air. That sounds pretty good to me. It says they will walk the path of exile. So it doesn't mean that life is easy, but they'll do it with a never ending joy. And sometimes I wonder why aren't more of us waltzing? Why aren't more of us singing? And I'm not advocating for us to be more charismatic, but, but why aren't more of us smiling when we sing? Singing about Jesus Christ and what he's done. I think some of us, our trouble is ever before us. Sometimes it seems like sadness and despair is multiplying, not evaporating. And maybe could it be possible that too many of us, we've been focusing far too much on how we feel. I think believing or understanding what salvation is, is simple. But really taking it to heart is something different. It's like understanding that when God says you're forgiven, it's like, okay, yeah, thanks, God. I appreciate being forgiven. But really believing in your heart that you're forgiven is not the same thing. You guys know that, right? What does it look like to trust in God instead of how we feel? So a couple years ago, the church decided to buy a 26-passenger bus. And then they decided to let me go get a CDL license, which I'm not really sure that was the best idea. But, and it was, it was a year process. It took me a year, partly because I'm arrogant. And I went in there to take the test and failed. Because I guess you're supposed to study or something like that. I, Nobody, nobody told me that. I mean, the test ended up being like mostly about semi-trucks. I ain't trying to drive a semi-truck. I'm trying to drive a church bus. So finally, I passed the test, and I had to do this inspection thing, right? It's like I, I get to the driver's test, and I'm like, yeah, I'm ready for this. I'm driving for a long time. I've been driving church vans, church buses. I'm good. I got this, right? And then she's like, yeah, we're going to need to do an inspection before we get in the vehicle. Uh, when you say inspection. What do, you, what do you mean by that? So I'm like going around talking about the car. I'm like, look, I've been down. I said, I'm just, I'm down here checking to make sure the lug nuts are good. And I touched one of the lug nuts and it fell off. And I'm like, ended up, ended up being it was just a cap for the lug nut. But I was like, I was so nervous. So I'm like, this whole time, I'm like, oh gosh, you, there's no way you're passing this test. And, you know, we finally get to the driver's portion, and I, I do real great in the parking lot. And then we get on the road, and she starts asking me all these questions. Like, woman, I'm trying to drive. Quit asking me questions. But I guess these questions are a part of the test. And we, we drive under a bridge, and it's like, sir, did you see uh, what the height of that bridge was? And I look in the mirror and see the sign on the other side, 17.6. I don't, know what, I don't know what happened, but there's, every part of me is just upset and angry because I'm thinking to myself, there is no way I pass this. I mean, absolutely no way. And we get back, and she's like, good job. Were we on the same drive? So I don't know if she just didn't ever want to see me again. So she just passed me, or maybe it was just uh, the, the grace in her heart. But sometimes we do that in life, though, don't we? We start living and, and just experiencing like, well, I, I already failed. 
I just, I feel like I'm no good. I feel like I can't do this. Sometimes that describes our, our spiritual life. But grace sometimes is at opposition with how we feel. And we've got to understand that, that grace doesn't require for us to feel good about it. Grace is just something that exists. Grace is something that God gives us, and our feelings really are irrelevant when it comes to that. And we've got to remember that our salvation is based on grace, not on how good we are. See, some of us, we define our value by how we feel, how we perform, but God doesn't care how we perform. That's, he, he doesn't go say, oh, yeah, this guy's good. He's going to heaven. Oh, man, you've been terrible. It doesn't matter that. He gave grace to all people because he loved us. So your value is not found in what you can do and who you are. Your value is found in your salvation, which comes to you because of grace. And sometimes we live life based upon our feelings. And sometimes our feelings are not right. Or sometimes our feelings are just terrible. But salvation is always true. You, you're never going to lose that, right? As long as you confess and you chase after God, that's not something you have to worry about. But what happens? Satan comes in and says, uh, but can God really forgive you? Can God forgive you again? And we start to doubt. And then we start to base our lives based on how we feel. But life circumstance can change. God does not. Sin can grow, but so can grace. After being confronted with his sin, David pens these words. And I think they're important words for us to hear and understand. He says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. And I think what he's saying is, is make me content in you alone. I don't want to be content on my circumstances. I don't want to be content on how I feel. I want to be content on something that's unchanging. And that's your love, your truth. Take my focus off of my brokenness and put it onto a God of restoration. I think like David, we've got to learn to give God how we feel. What is it that you need to give God today? And maybe like me, you needed to be reminded that your value is not in what you do. Your value is in salvation. That God looked at you and said, I don't know what it's got to take, but whatever it takes, I got to save them because they are far too valuable to lose. What is it from you? What is keeping your focus off of the fact that you've won, off of the fact that you are saved? What is helping you forget that? Maybe like David, some of us, we just need to give our sin and let it go, give it to God. Maybe you need to give a relationship to God. Maybe you need to give God your finances and your ability to steward. Give God your addiction and start to believe that you can change. Maybe it's just about being real with God. With prayer and worship, just laying our feelings out there and say, God, this is how I feel. Like, give them your anger. Give them your disappointment. Give them your fear. Give them your anxiety. There's nothing too big that God can't handle. And let him replace it with joy. Let me give you one more. And that is look up. Find joy in God's provision. And John 4, Jesus sends his disciples into town to get food, and he meets a woman by the well. She came to get water, but after meeting Jesus, she left without water and without her water jar because Jesus promised her something, promised her living water. 
and said that if you drink this water, you'll never thirst again. But I, I got to ask the question, what does it mean to never thirst again? What does that mean spiritually? Does that mean we get one incredible encounter with God and then we're good for the rest of our lives? But then I noticed something because I don't think that's true. I noticed the word thirst. Thirst is the feeling of needing a drink, right? The lack of liquid. But scripture doesn't say that you won't need a drink again. It says you'll never be thirsty again. Thirsty is different. Thirsty is a place of desperation, a place where you've gone without water for too long. Thirsty is what happens when you walk in the desert alone. Thirsty is what happens when you have no access to running water. But we serve a God who makes water come out of rocks in the desert. We serve a God that provides for us regardless of the circumstances. Our God is a God that's available to us anytime, anywhere by the power and movement of the Holy Spirit. And after an encounter, one encounter with Jesus, the Savior who promises living water, what need do you have for a water jar? What need do you have to provide for yourself? I mean, let's get honest. In reality, this woman at some point would be like, dang it, I left my water jar at the well. She would need to get water again, right? At some point. But can't you see the power and the symbolism? She gained a faith to understand she didn't need to provide for herself because she had a God that provided for her. She gained the confidence, not worrying about today, knowing who holds tomorrow. And let's get honest. Sometimes the circumstances of life are not good. This lady wasn't going to the well in the middle of the day because life was good. She was trying to avoid people. Sometimes life stinks. Let's get honest. The way we feel, we get anxious about what we don't have. And sometimes we start praying. We're like, God, I really need this job. God, man, I really need this friendship. I really need this grade. I really need this promotion. I could really use some money, God. I really need blank. Whatever that blank is for you. I'm unhappy, God. Can you please give me this? God, I'm anxious. Please fix my circumstances. But what if God's provisions about giving us what we need to endure rather than just rescuing us? So I don't know if, if you guys know me that well or not, but I, I spend a lot of time in the woods looking for birds, trying to take pictures of them. And what happens is, as you walk through the woods long enough, eventually you're going to get bit by a tick. I think my joke through, throughout COVID is I told my mom, I said, don't worry, mom, I have a far better chance of getting Lyme's disease than COVID. And that's probably sadly true. I pull a lot of ticks off me. I don't know if you guys have ever been bit by a tick, but what happens is, is you're fine for like three days. It didn't even bother you. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it just starts to itch like you ain't ever had an itch before in your entire life, right? And I just remember I had gotten bit by a tick, and I, it was at that time, and it started to itch, and I just kept praying. I'm like, God, can you please take this away? Take this away. Take this away. And then I had an epiphany. I said, what if I'm praying for the wrong thing? I said, you know what, God, don't take it away. Instead, give me the strength not to scratch. What if we're praying for the wrong things? What if we're praying for God to fix our problems, to take away our problems, and maybe we should be praying for God to give us the strength to endure our problems? What if his role as Savior is to help us overcome rather than just to fix our problems? Philippians 4.19 says, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory. My God will supply every need of yours according to what? According to his riches. So if you're sitting around waiting for God to answer your prayers by earthly matters, then you're going to be waiting for a long time because he responds with his 
riches. And his riches are the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, greatness, self-control, faithfulness. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified because of them. Can I ask you today, what is your them? Why are you terrified? What are you afraid of? What is them? What does God tell us? He says, look, the Lord goes with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. So you don't have any reason to be afraid of whatever them is for you. Man, sometimes for me, man, my greatest fear is, am I, am I going to be a good pastor? Am I going to be a good husband? Am I going to be a good father? Sometimes, man, I, I can't sleep at night because I'm afraid of who I might be or who I might not be. What is it for you? Are you afraid that maybe your marriage will fail or, or are you afraid that you won't be a good enough parent? Afraid that you won't be a good enough student? Afraid that you're not going to do this well enough? Afraid that you won't have this? Maybe you're focusing on the wrong thing. You're focusing on your own ability to provide for yourself. And God's like, I've been here. And maybe I'm not going to give you the money you need, but by goodness, I will give you peace to endure. And goodness gracious, look, I feed the birds. Can you not believe in your own heart that I care more about you than I care about the birds? Can you not trust that I will provide for you? I will give you what you need, but I'll do it through my riches. Don't be anxious or fearful because you're in need. God loves you. What does he say here? For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Look up. God will provide for you. I read a quote this week that I really loved said, when Satan reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. And I think that the most important piece of that, as powerful as that is, is that you got to remind yourself of your future. And that, I think, is the key to having joy, regardless of what circumstances you face. So I hope that today, regardless of the mess you got to go back to, or maybe it's good things. But you can leave this place with a smile on your face, knowing that whatever happens today doesn't get the final say. Because one day, there's not going to be pain. One day, we're going to get to go back to the garden. We're going to get to go back to the way it was supposed to be, the way it was meant to be. So when I pray to close this out, I just... I challenge you to leave with a smile on your face today. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much. I'm so glad that you decided to care more about eternity rather than trying to fix our circumstances because you knew that as soon as you fix the circumstances, eventually it gets bad again. It doesn't last. 
So Lord, I know that sometimes it's just hard to live because our circumstances surround us. It's so hard because we can't get our focus on just all the junk that's going on in our lives. But Father God, I, I just pray today that you would help us to just stay laser focused on you. That we'd be able to look in and try our best to, to do things the right way, how we were created to do. That we look out and see how our influence and, and our power and our time can really help other people and the joy that we might experience from that. Lord, I ask you to help us to change our mindset, help us to see and understand our salvation, not through our ability, but just because of your incredible grace. I pray, Father God, that we'd be able to just look up this week every time. Maybe we even think about that song that we sang earlier. Every time that just something bad would happen, instead of just letting that take us down this rabbit hole of darkness, we say, you know what? I'm going to look up. I'm going to remember that I have a God that provides. I'm going to remember that I have a God that loves me. I'm going to remember that I have a God who promised me that he would never leave me or forsake me. And I'm going to face whatever problem I have, I'm going to face it with a smile on my face. Be the God that changes our attitude through your incredible joy that you give us out of your own supply. We love you. We praise you. In your holy name, amen.